The Incomparable Podcast, number 61, October 2011. Welcome to another edition of The Incomparable Podcast. I am Jason Snell, your host, and I convened this meeting of the Comic Book Club. Joining us today are two uh, regular members of the Comic Book Club. I'll introduce them now. First, Jason Brightman. Hi, Jason. Hey, for the point of this, uh, this episode, I'm going to go as the number one Jason. All right, you can be the good Jason. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be the, the letter A Jason. How about that? Ah, there you go. Hmm. Also joining us is Lisa Schmeiser. Hi, Lisa. Hi. I'm not a Jason. Not I'm a Jason. Neither Jason adjacent either. No, you're not. You are coming to us live from your home. Mm-hmm. And we have um, two other people, we'll say. Two, depending on how much one of them wants to talk. One and a half, two. Um, coming, this is the big link up between the incomparable and the great powers at uh, Five by Five. Uh, Dan Benjamin, the genius behind the 5x5 Podcasting Network and a comic book nerd, joins us as well. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you, Jason? I'm doing well. How does it feel to be on the other end of the uh, microphone? I, I can say it's about time. I mean, uh, if, if I must say, shame on you for not inviting me sooner, but I'm glad to be here. It's a thrill. It's great to have you. And uh, is Faith Corpy there as well? She is in there. I she's here. Reading, she's Hello. hanging out. Hello. We're just reading. Com- we're just reading comic books. You're reading comics. That's what Faith, we do here. Faith, what 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 is your title? What do you call yourself at Five by Five? I'm the producer. You are the producer. Well, mm-hmm. Lord knows Dan needs one. So I sure do. Well, I know for sure. She does know. Faith knows. Um, so our topic today on the Comic Book Club, appropriate because. Um, Recently, in the last uh, uh, five or six weeks, DC Comics relaunched its entire comic book line. And um, what they did was they reset every issue to number one and released a whole set of number ones. So our topic today is not just the DC relaunch, although I imagine we might spend a lot of time on that, but also the concept of a comic book uh, number one in general, because we can talk about maybe our our favorites uh, if we have them, or even whether number ones are any good. Uh, which I I I'm showing my hand a little bit there. So uh, <laughs> to to get started, I I, I do want to talk about DC. Um, as we record this, they've just released a bunch of number twos. Um, this is not about number twos. This is about number ones. So. Um, I thought I'd go around the virtual table and ask people uh, for their thoughts about if they've got a particular uh, DC relaunch number one issue that they want to highlight as um, as being particularly good, particularly enjoyable. And I thought I would start with Mr. Brightman. Yeah, so I did read all 52 number ones. Some of the, the titles and characters I was familiar with, others I'd never read or seen before. Um, and some of them were, I would say, huge disappointments. Um, and others intrigued me enough that I would pick up number two. So I think um, ones that spring to mind that were kind of intriguing uh, were uh, ones I never would have expected, like Suicide Squad or uh, Batwing. Um, ones I expected to like and did were like Action Comics number one by Grant Morrison. Uh, and... Yeah, yeah, and then OMAC number one, OMAC, OMAC, well, I don't know how you pronounce it, the... Uh, the one-man Army Corps. Yes, the one-man Army Corps uh, was good, but it was almost, it was structurally the exact same as the original Kirby kind of number one as well, so that was more enjoyable in a pastiche kind of way. So yeah, there was, a, there was quite a few, I would say a good uh, 10 or 11 that would intrigue me enough to go on, and then... The majority made all of the mistakes that uh, a lot of number one issues make in in not having enough of a hook to kind of get you to get the next issue or care enough about the characters or story or plot or whatever to go on to a second issue. Because we really face it, number ones are really, really hard. They have a lot to do. Um, I think we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to go around. So, Lisa, do you have any particular favorites from the DC um, number ones? Did you Did you read some of the DC number ones? I have to show my hand here and admit the only one I checked out was Birds of Prey because that was the only DC series I enjoyed regularly. And I was curious to see how it would fare when Gail Simone wasn't writing it. And um, my initial response was that it's beautiful. The art um, by 
Jesus Saiz, is that how you say his name? Um, anyway, the, the art is gorgeous. It's, it's a beautiful book to look at. I am not sold on the writing yet, but I don't think I'm going to be able to pass judgment on it until it finishes out the first story arc. And we get a, I get a real sense for how consistently this guy plans on uh, establishing and maintaining characterization and relationships between the characters. So um, I'm surprised you didn't read Batgirl, since that is the uh, the Gail Simone of I which you speak. I am so opposed to what they did to Oracle. <laughs> I have very strong feelings about Oracle. And um, I, I'm, I'm going to stay away from that one until I can look at it with um, a less knee-jerk, reflexive, angry uh, mindset going into it. So it might be a while before I take a look at that. All right. I, I sense that, that there's some... Uh... Unresolved issues there. Yes. Dan, <laughs> Dan you, uh, I know, have devoured these number ones. Uh, you know, you have some favorites? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you're not trying to force me to just pick, you know, pick one favorite because that would that would nearly kill me. I'm trying to be kind. Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if I, honestly, if I had to pick, if I had to pick one favorite, uh, it, it, it'd be a Detective Comics number one. Uh, I mean, I've, I've always loved Detective Comics. I've always, always, always loved Batman. Uh, so, and, and I mean, the art and the work that, that, uh, Daniel's doing in there, Tony Daniel is just, I mean, that, that in my mind, that's sort of at least the first one, which, yeah, it, it is a dark storyline. Uh, but I mean, that just is laying down the gauntlet for, you know, okay, kids pay attention. This is, this is how you do a number one. And this is how you take a character that people have known for forever and tell a story about him that's new and intriguing and, 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 you know, poses a lot of questions and really treats it as, Yes, this is a character everybody knows, but here's something new or here's a different take. And doing that without losing uh, what makes Batman and Detective Comics together uh, great, I think I think that's that's the winner for me. But even just forgetting the story, um, gosh, looking at, at what like Williams and Blackman is doing for Batwoman, the artwork, uh, just look at that as just artwork. Take take the words out and just look at that as artwork. It's 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 some of the best artwork that's available in print today. Are you saying we need to take the words out? Not at all. I'm just saying, <laughs> looking at it as a as as a, a just a, an illustrative work of art. Uh, but no, I, I love the story. I think I think the stories in a lot of these are great. I think you know, I think there's been some disappointments too. But I actually just picked up. I missed getting uh, the first issue of Swamp Thing uh, when it first came out, and I've got a second printing of it here that I'm, I'm just starting to read before uh, before today. And actually, somebody is sending it, sending an original, you know, like a first print to me, to just being nice. But again, the story in that looks looks great, and the swamp thing has been so abused over the years. So I have, you know, I have hope. That's my sleeper. That's my underdog. All right, swamp thing. Um, if I can jump back in for a moment, I might actually go back and take a look for the authority for Stormwatch's first issue, just because I've been following that series on and off since it came out, and I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to integrate it into the DC universe. This is hilarious because as uh, you guys can't yeah. see Jason Brightman's face, but I can, and he has grimaced repeatedly. He grimaced at the de- at the at dimension of Detective Comics, and again, he, he tried to wave you off, Lisa, from Stormwatch. No, don't do it. I, I would love to hear your thoughts, yeah, Jason. It, well, the, the, the Stormwatch, well, Detective, to me, just read a little bit more like um, they went really dark and stuff, uh, which is, I guess, fine. And it, it, but it's it sort of, it read a little bit more like, angry baby art it, it just, it's not hard to go really dark with batman and, and be like all edgy with it and it was sort of like naked violent joker and people dying and lots of blood and and it didn't, it that, didn't that's what the comic's all about man that's what it's they're taking it they're taking it to all uh, a whole nother level as you it's guys it's it's a uh, I, I think it's a total valid interpretation but um to me it, it seemed so easy as a writer to do that and there's nothing complicated, nothing surprising, nothing hard, nothing interesting about it for me. There, they may have gone further with that take, but it wasn't new or different or interesting enough to interest me, um, kind of story-wise. Which one do you? Which one do you like? <laughs> the, uh, for I mean, for me, for they gets into the first issue and what's exciting about first issues. Um, and for me, it's always you know you need you have to establish the world, the characters the throw in a primary kind of motivation thing, um, sort of like a 
here's the world, oh, something happens, and it has to be sort of interesting enough to then pick up the next issue and, and hopefully be a kind of a complete story by itself. And I would actually point to, as, as my favorite example of this, um, when, Mar- when Peter Milligan and Mike Aldred took over X-Force, before it was named Ecstatic, uh, it, it was X-Force 116, but it was the first issue because it was a completely new team of characters, completely different direction, complete break from the past. And they introduced all of these characters um, through the, the, the story, and it was kind of interesting. Introduced all of these characters, I think like seven of them, and by the last page, all but one was, all but two were dead, including the main character the entire story focused on. And two of the side kind of characters were left alive, and you were just like, what? And, and so that's the shock, uh, shock number one, right? Where you're not seeing the story you think you are. Right. And I certainly I picked up the second issue and kept going. It was really, really well done. Now I want to say um, uh, I, I like Detective Comics. I, I didn't love it, and I, I see Jason's point there, but I also see Dan's point. I, I liked it better than Batman Number One, which I also read. Um, Batman Number One to me suffers from a, a disease that I thought that DC was getting rid of, which they failed to get rid of, which is the. Uh, kind of continuity reboot stuff because I really expected them to go to kind of a back to a kind of classic Batman story and instead in Batman number one you get you know you get his son is Robin and there are former Robins running around under new identities which I know is part of the continuity but to me I felt like that was a a, that was a mistake that they that they are trying to replicate parts of the universe that they want to keep Mm-hmm. Um, that, that they want to keep alive when they probably would have been better off going back to basics. Detective Comics, because there is none of that kind of Wayne family interplay. In fact, it's essentially, I think Bruce Wayne is uncowled for one panel. It's really about Batman. Right. And I like the twist where there's this question of, is the Joker the victim or the killer or a little bit of both that I that I really liked? It wasn't my favorite, but I, I will defend it a little bit because I... I, I it. it it gave me more of what I expected from a kind of history-free Batman story than Batman number one did, where I felt weighed down by the DC continuity. I don't want to get too far into this before asking Faith what she liked from the the, the number ones that we've seen in the last month. Okay, well, I have to admit that I'm new to DC Comics, so me I mean, too. I've sort of been, oh, okay, cool, cool. I I'm think there's, the... there's a lot of converts out there, really. I was always a Marvel guy. I mean, I read Batman, but that was it. Yeah, I, I, I'm using this as my jumping off point, right? That, that I, I am free of the continuity because I don't understand it. And so I want to see, um, and that's why I reacted so badly to Batman number one, I think. is like, I, I knew that they had done stuff like this and there are many Robins and his son is around. But, you know, I, you know I, that's not, that doesn't fit with my kind of idealized view of, of Batman as a jumping off point. So go ahead. Oh, no. So the first one I read was the, the Justice League one which I really liked, but I was a little overwhelmed by, I guess, by the sheer number of characters in it. And, and but, yet they um, kind of kept it... I mean, there weren't... It wasn't the whole Justice League, right? It was essentially Batman with Green Lantern and then like right. a page of Superman. So it was they were trying to keep it simple, certainly. Yeah, they, they were trying. That one, eh, yeah. <laughs> Other than that, Dan has sort of been like, oh, here, read this one, read this one, read this one. So... I'm getting a little... Which one's the one that you were really excited about, Dan? Swamp Swamp Thing. No, I thought you said Aquaman. Oh, yeah. I think Aquaman... Thanks for bringing that up. Aquaman's great. It's great. I want to read more Aquaman. I've never picked up a copy of Aquaman in my life. I want to see number two. I'd agree with that, too. Aquaman was really good. Well, I I finally won him over. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that. Aquaman number one was really good, and Swamp Thing number one was surprisingly good as, as, uh, as well. So I'm on board with Dan now. Oh, good. Now you now you say you're on board with Dan. Faith, so, Faith... Um, so, what did I'll, you think of Animal Man? Oh, I did read Animal Man. Um, we we, oh, we oh, referred to Jason. J- which Jason A or J- Jason 1? Either Jason. Both Jasons. I actually... I liked Animal Man. I, I liked the ending of Animal Man. I had, I had read a review of it before reading it, so I, I knew what the ending was, but I, I, I still thought it was kind of an impactful, interesting ending that had me intrigued enough to read the second issue i never even heard animal man yeah, before this i've got i've got one and two sitting here on the desk i haven't written in my two read pile i would go back and look for the grant morrison run on animal man because that that was to me the definitive run on the character and i'd be interested to see what they're doing with it now 
so, and they're doing a little bit of the Grant Moore. I mean, because Grant Morrison made it the uh, um, the kind of very meta story. Yeah. So, like in Grant Morrison's ra- run, the Grant Morrison as the author was talking to Animal Man, Animal Man in the story. Yeah. By the end of it, um, it was very, very. Hey, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, and this has some of that vibe, though it, it doesn't go in the same direction. So it still feels kind of fresh and, and unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so the ones that I looked at. Um, I liked. Uh, I, I did kind of like the Justice League. To, to Faith's point, um, as a jumping-off point, I like that they were kind of restrained. They could have just had it be two pages on each member or something, and instead it was really Batman, who is I think maybe their best character, and he got time. And then they bring in Green Lantern, and he's in some ways comic relief because he's portrayed as being a big dumb lummox. Which which I Green thought, Lantern is it? Uh, it is um, Hal Jordan. It's Hal Jordan. Hal yeah. Jordan. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's but he's he's a lummox, and uh, Batman outsmarts him and takes his ring. In fact, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And Superman is this mysterious alien force, which I like some mystery in Superman. Right. I thought that was cool. I don't handle easily, he says. I liked action comics. I thought action comics number one was really good, and I'm not a Superman fan. And um, you know, I love I love Superman being like a guy who has who's a character, and he has he has vulnerabilities and doesn't really know what he's doing and is figuring it out that's just so much more compelling um uh and uh, the other ones i like batgirl which which lisa you know gail simone did do a good job i know you may be offended that she's not oracle anymore although that seems to have been integrated somewhat into the storyline because it's a mystery she was paralyzed and now isn't which is kind of interesting and i want to make a, a a little bit of a claim for uh blue beetle only because um I like the Blue Beetle in general. I actually have read the Blue Beetle comic before. But what I really liked about the Blue Beetle, and, and this, I think, brings us to another question about number ones, is Blue Beetle felt like a number one to me. It felt like a, a fresh origin and uh, new direction in a way that some of the established comics felt like they were number ones with new continuity, but it was really the old continuity kind of kind of whitewashed. And they and actually with Blue Beetle they did do a new origin that uh, they changed his origin because originally yeah. it was part of the final crisis or one of the, cri- the not final the one before final crisis semifinal crisis. yeah which apparently they've wiped out crisis from all of the continuity but I, so I like those you know I liked the uh, I like the fact that that um, uh, Blue Beetle was fairly self-contained. I mean, there's a story arc there, but really, by the end of the issue, you know who Jaime Reyes is, and you know his friends, and you know he lives in Texas, and you know that he got this, you know, power accidentally. He gets this power accidentally from this kind of crashed, you know, space spaceship or, or remnants of a, of a space warrior, and, and then you're off for the next adventure, which, you know, one of the problems I had with some of these, and I think uh, modern comics being so... Uh, decompressed mm-hmm. is that you end up with you know you don't uh, so here it is who had the over under on micronauts at uh <laughs> at, at 20 minutes um, <laughs> my micronauts number one my one of my you know favorite comics of all time the entire premise is set they have battles and they leave the planet never to return in 22 pages and um not one of the dc comics but uh ultimate spider-man number one came out in this last month too and um, that kid's not going to put on the Spider-Man costume until, like, issue five. It's it's not even because it's so decompressed. And there was a lot of that <laughs> in the DC stuff, too. And it's a little frustrating because uh, shouldn't uh, – tell me what you think. Shouldn't a number one um, tell tell you enough to get you intrigued? And I think that sometimes they, they, uh, they fail because they're just too short. Here are my criteria for a good number one is it has to set up the premise so that if someone says, oh, what are you reading about? You can say, oh, I'm reading about an alien who's put on a cape or, oh, I'm reading about this guy whose parents were killed and now he solves crimes or, or what have you. And they also need to introduce the primary character and it should um, make you want to read ahead. Those those are my big baseline criteria for any number one issue. And... In preparation for this, I went back and reread Fantastic Four number one and Amazing Spider-Man mm-hmm. number one and the uh, Amazing Fantasy fifteen, I think it was, which is the original uh, introduction of Spider-Man. Yeah, and that was the whole. You you find out you meet Peter Parker, he becomes Spider-Man, his uncle dies, with great power becomes great responsibility. It was sixteen pages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was complete story. And you're like, I like this guy. I want to learn more about him and see more of his adventures. Yeah, uh, and. I don't know that the DC, most of the DC issues 
lived up to that in a kind of complete, a lot of them didn't have complete stories. Um, and a lot of them didn't really necessarily set up a premise for a story really well. Because you, you kind of get in that decompressed way you were just talking about, Jason. They, uh, you get a lot of it like, oh, the first five issues or six issues here will be a complete story. And I saw like the opening, not even a complete opening chapter of the story. See, this uh, is why I like waiting for trades at this point is because this, this, this way I don't have to be frustrated by the incremental storytelling pace. I can just pick up a complete arc and, and have done with it. Dan and Faith, what do you guys think? As far as uh, your criteria well, for a good... Well, yeah, what makes it number, number one, one? For, for you? And did you feel like there was enough in these number ones for you to keep reading? That's a great question. I mean, there are a handful of them that... Uh, that yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you want, you want to identify the character, the main character. You want to identify the setting. You want to bring people in. That's the real thing is, I mean, honestly... If if you look at this from the story standpoint, you can go over and look what they're doing with Ultimate Spider-Man. You can say they're they're building a story because I got the first two issues of that thing, and you know they're they're building the character, they're spending time building the character, setting the scene. You got the dad, you got the uncle, you know. I mean, and here he's got this sort of power, and you got the friend who who tells him how cool it is that he's right. got a power, and he's wigging out that he has a power. Whether it's really, I mean, I, if I had spider powers, I wouldn't. I'd immediately start using them. I, I don't. I don't know why comic book characters always have a problem when they have powers especially when they're powers that you can kind of get under control pretty quickly <laughs> you know i would like I, I wouldn't mind having the power i'd take the power give me the powers i'll try i'll try some powers i would like them i like the bendis uh decon- de- decompression i actually like that story but as a number yeah. one you know nothing really happens and then they put a picture right. of him in the spider-man costume on the cover and it's like but you okay. don't see it. where is it let's see it yeah. How does he get to that point? How many ever at this rate it'll take a 50 100 issues before he, you know, figures out how to make a web. And you know, I mean, like, I I think it's just too it's too much for it's too much for a comic book. You know what I'm saying? I, I think number 1's really have to be a, it's it's a first date. You know, and Yeah, and I like that. I like that. You got a you got a little bit of romance, a little bit of intrigue, a little bit of mystery. You have to get to that second date with the person and Can and, you go can you go too far on a first uh, comic book date? You can. Is it possible to go? How do you, how do you go too far? You're, I think that's what you didn't like about about the uh, the detective comics. It went too far for you. But it, that that just went too far in a particular genre that I find. Um, like you date a girl and you know she seems nice, and then you know you find out what that she wears combat boots. Right, or something? but the the, uh, the the my problem the detective comics was more about like you know when bad writing, the, using gore to cover bad writing. It's just like using Nazis as the bad guy. It's it's not hard. You put somebody in a Nazi uniform, you're like, oh, bad guy, and and it's it's just lazy writing. Speaking of combat boots, this this me- this uh, metaphor that we're using is frightening me. By the way, <laughs> this first date thing. I actually I liked it at first, and now it's getting yeah, right. weird. It's kind of gone. It's it, uncomfortable now. It is uncomfortable. No, yeah. well, to to your <laughs> point about uh, Amazing Fantasy fifteen or, or Spider Man number one or something like that is in the old days you could tell a complete story. In, and now, you know, people, they don't do that, right? And, and so the, I guess the question is you either start off a five-issue five story arc in order to force them to come back through plot, right? Instead of it being, um, I want to know more about these characters, that may still be there too. But all of these number ones from DC that I read, it was really a cliffhanger that would give you mystery about where the plot was going to go next. And that was the thing that would get you back, not the... Um, not the characters necessarily, because um, you could have done a, a number one that was a standalone, and then people would have to judge it entirely based on whether they wanted to come back and enjoy another story instead of find out what happened, which is a big difference, I think. Again, we're back to we're back to Aquaman because Aquaman sets the scene, tells you a heck of a lot about the character. He says almost nothing in the whole the whole book. Says almost nothing, but like that's the one I keep coming back and thinking about because there was a sense of fun. There was a sense of. Uh, of, of awareness to it. And he's, he's barely doing, you know, I think he, he caught a couple guys in a truck. Like he, what he did wasn't even that big of a deal, relatively speaking. He didn't save the world, but yet that's the one I'm kind of interested in. Isn't it interesting that, uh, in a, a genre that's, it's all about character. All of the books were, or most of the books focused on plot. Right. And it, we, we're not, it, that's kind of bad writing. Well, I mean, it's, it may be something about the intrusion of, of commerce on the, on the writing, too, that, that they feel like they need to do that. Although I think that's great. I didn't read Aquaman. Um, I feel like Batgirl actually did a little bit of that, too, where um, 
there is an ongoing plot that is supposed to be kind of interesting and mysterious, and she's got some character background. But at, at the same time, I felt like most of the pages of Batgirl were spent introducing us to this character and that she's got this, you know, she's kind of scarred because she had something happened to her and she was unable to walk for some period of time. And she's only now kind of reentering the world. And we're kind of with her as she reenters and puts on her costume for the first time since the accident. And we, you know, and we meet her dad, who's the commissioner and all of those things. And, um, I liked that because in a way that I didn't like some of the other books, even though I, I, I liked them, they were carrying me along with the story. Whereas with Bad Girl, I felt much more connected. And that, that is right. It's not just good writing, but it's also a good choice, I think, to, to tie me into that character. Because, you know, good writing and a, and a good character will get me to read a number two more than a kind of insane cliffhanger will. Because if I didn't really enjoy the point up to the cliffhanger, I'm not sure I would buy Number two. Did any of you read Batwing? No. All right. So no. the, uh, the, the premise. <laughs> Don't of, all answer at once. The, the premise of Batwing uh, apparently <laughs> is um, when Batman in, in the previous continuity was going around the world and creating other little Batmans everywhere um, in the Batman Inc. Grant Morrison storyline. Uh, I guess Batwing was one of those characters and he is in Africa. I forget which um, country in Africa. Um, I think it's the Congo, but he's uh, the African Batman. And uh, interestingly in the story, I hadn't read anything about him previously. Um, They didn't really focus on him. He's kind of narrating the story. It's from his uh, point of view, but you really get introduced to this other cop character. um, And it's all about the the police force is corrupt in this African nation. um, And he's wondering about this, this woman and whether she's on the side of angels or corrupt uh, and then some stuff happens, and you, introdu- you get introduced to his sort of Guy Friday character. Um, Batman makes a quick appearance. But it was almost as if, the, if, as if the writers knew people knew this character, so they focused on other characters to bring new audience in. So you were sort of introduced to the world through his eyes, and I didn't really get to learn about him, but I didn't care because these other characters were kind of interesting. Um, and it was a softer story uh, as far as things happening but there were enough character uh interesting stuff uh though i don't know how i'd feel about picking up a book called batwing it's not the best title in the world on the wings of bats (laughs) (laughs) in color yeah but it was a good story lisa um well you haven't so lisa you we haven't talked about um Red Hood and the Outlaws, <laughs> and um, we also haven't talked about oh, what was the what was the other one that got them in trouble? Um, Catwoman, Voodoo. Oh, Catwoman, yeah. I bought both of those oh, mostly just to see, see the, train the train wreck. wreck. Oh Jesus, really? Don't reward it. Oh, uh, you know, I had I, I had a podcast coming up. I felt like I needed to read them in order to understand how bad they were. But you know, for those who don't know, this is. Um, uh, you know, Red Hood and the Outlaws uh, it reboots uh, Starfire from the Teen Titans, and and it's Robin who's now, or no, it's one of the Robins. It's Jason Todd, right? Which it goes back to Batman continuity being very confusing in this supposedly clean slate. Um, and there's a lot of cro- controversy about it because in she's basically eye candy, and uh, you know she's got big boobs and she's posing, supposedly talking to to the men in the frame, but she's actually just posing for the people looking at the frame. And, um, she considers all men interchangeable and just wants to have sex with them, which is, uh, you know, sort of got them singled out as being perhaps not, um, the clean slate in terms of finding a new audience that, uh, that, uh, people might've expected. And the thing you know, is, it's not even that shocking an idea or a character conceit. It's actually been really played out because, Back before they did the reboot, um, Gail Simone's run on Secret Six, she had two characters. One was Knockout, who was a fellow female fury. Um, She and Big Barda both come from Apocalypse. And Knockout was partnered with um, Vandal Scavage's daughter, Scandal Savage. (laughs) You know, I say that us out loud, it just sounds so dumb. Anyway, the point is, is that Knockout had this very, very cavalier attitude towards sex. And she was like, based, she, her, her whole MO was, if I have an itch, it's going to get scratched and I'm just going to grab the nearest bipedal hominid with a heartbeat and go for it. And, and so, you know, this was already kind of established. And so to have 
poor sweet Starfire um, basically acting like a human real doll, but not human, but inhuman real doll was, was just kind of really, really, it, it's, it's been done. It's boring. And I don't think it did much to advance the character because at least in secret six, it was seen as kind of a, a character defining trait in the sense of look, you know, I don't care what you think. This is how I roll. Whereas in this case it was, Oh my gosh, it's a gorgeous woman in a bikini and crazy eyes and, Ooh, wow. It, yeah, it, it, it felt titillating and cheap as opposed to something that actually explained where a character's mindset came from. Yeah, yeah it, it was bad writing, right? I mean, there, there are better ways to tell that, even if you want to make this alien character um, who's got very broad ideas about uh, sex and love. Um, well, just show different people leaving her room in background panels or something. <laughs> no, I'm serious. There are, there are ways to do it that, that um, don't make her seem like a blow-up doll. Which is, uh, which is, uh, you know, they didn't do it. It's just, it's just lazy writing. I mean, it's, it's if you want to to titillate the, you know, thirteen year old boy audience that comics are still written for, you do that. It's are they are they written for the thirteen year old audience or are they written for the thirty year old audience? I was going to ask the same question. So what what audience is this? Is this written for? Because none of this stuff that that, that we're identifying as being a problem. I mean, this none of this is is n- new. I mean, maybe it's new for DC to do it, but it's not new to the comic genre it's as not a whole. Even new for DC is my point, but the way it's being written is they took away this this character's agency, where all of a sudden she's put on the defensive, where she has to explain her sexual philosophy, and it is judged in the framework and context of a bunch of male characters. And so the message that sends out is that however she feels or whatever role she serves it's going to be wrong because it wasn't defined by the men that she interacts with. Whereas when Simone did this with knockout and the other female furies, um, it was, it was pretty much, look, this is, this is what I do. This is how I roll. I'm sorry if you don't like it. I realize it was a cultural clash. Um, I'm not changing, but it's not going to happen again with you. And it, it all comes down to writing and perspective. Um, you know, knockout was written as a woman with sexual agency and Starfire was written as a sex object. There's a huge difference. It's, it comes down to whether or not you respect the character enough to, to give them a mind of their own as opposed to making them somebody else's prop. I guess my my um, concern about this is, I mean, there's a larger issue of sort of sexism in comics and and uh, what audience are you pandering to? And, and, and the thing that, the thing that um, shocked me about it is that, we, you know, we talked earlier about, um, and Faith, you mentioned this, that you are... Uh, new to DC Comics and haven't read these comics before, um, when they're trying to reach a new audience, um, and they've got TV ads, actually, saying you can go download these things on your iPad or you can go to a comic book store or whatever, you can get them. They're trying to reach a new audience and then to come out with um, an issue like uh, like Catwoman number one, where she starts out naked and slowly put, very slowly puts on her underwear as the issue goes along, or uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws with uh, with Starfire and how she's treated. I, I you know I I look at that and think you are pandering to your traditional comics audience, and you're and you're not you're going to turn off people who um, are your new audience. I, I, you know I don't know if uh, uh, Faith or Dan, you've got any any thoughts about that. I mean, do you really think they are trying to get like people who haven't picked up a comic book ever? Because I, I would question the likelihood of that happening. And I'm new to DC Comics, but I'm not n- new to comics. So, I mean, I am very familiar with the fact that typically um, a pro- the proportions of a woman's body are not accurately portrayed. Yeah, how do they so, stand I mean, up I when certainly they're fighting wasn't shocked. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would question that, like, someone who has never picked up a comic book would be going near these. I do think they are, they're, they are trying to get that audience that goes and sees, um, you know, the movies that are out now, the Batman movies, the, the, the 10 or 11 people who saw the Green Lantern film. They, they're trying to get those new, uh, those people who are familiar with the characters, maybe familiar with comics or at least comic strips from the newspaper, um, and trying to get them to pick up something new. So I would argue they, they are trying to expand the market. They have to because the the comic book market is so small. Tiny. Yeah. It may also be step one is um, get back the people who have read comics in the past, and it's just too inconvenient. But they've got an iPad right there or a computer that they can just view them on their computer and 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 get them back. It just you know it surprises me when they talk about going mainstream and DC you know has talked about saying we want to be able to do TV ads. Um, 
that uh, they made the creative decisions. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else read those issues, but I, maybe I'm the only one who was enough of a sucker to buy Red Hood and the Outlaws and buy Catwoman number one just to see the just to see how bad it was. Yeah, I bought I bought Catwoman number one before I heard there was any big deal about it. And what'd you think? You know, I, I yeah. What was your? I mean, I was expect to be honest. I was expecting that from Catwoman. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, that's that's kind of what Catwoman has always been about. I mean, I was not expecting Catwoman to have sex with Batman on the last panel. Well, I mean, like if if you think back to the Tim Burton era of Batman movies. Uh, I try not to think you know, about that, Batman Returns because well, it was but, so bad. Uh, okay, but I mean that was that was Catwoman. That was her back then uh, with uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in the in in the role, and people thought it was great when it was Michelle Pfeiffer, and it wasn't really that different from what we're seeing now. I mean, you know, sure you can question the the last page, and certainly I I, I question whether the T T plus audience, I think uh, at least on the Marvel side, T plus is like thirteen and up. I don't, you know, I don't know if this was the kind of comic that my parents would have especially wanted me to read when I was 13 years old. I'm not saying that, you know, kids don't find ways to read things behind their parents back, but I'm not saying I would buy this for my 13 year old. But that said, like, again, I, I don't know if that's the audience that it's intended for. The rating system is kind of arbitrary anyway. Uh, but it, if you assume that this is a comic telling a, a, maybe a more adult story, it's not for kids. If you take that off, if you rated this thing R or whatever, um, would would it be as big of a deal? You know, I, I think you're right that that it's it's somewhat expected for the characters. I think it's the way it was portrayed was interesting in the um, almost that Watchmen way, where it was about the characters as in costume. Uh, you know, they don't take their costumes off as they start. Uh, making whoopee and they uh it, it had it was that had nice interesting kind of personality um who's the real character who's the secret identity all that kind of layering um that watchman did so well and other books have but it applied it to batman and catwoman and and the fact that they were hooking up that's not surprising it's been hinted at forever it's just a bit more graphically portrayed i question the need to graphically portray it yeah um, yeah, you know, I don't think it. I don't think, I don't think it was a. Um, it was a. I'm, I'm groping for the right word here. I don't, I, I don't think it did bad things for cat for Catwoman's character the same way uh, poor Starfire got it. But uh, the art, frankly, looks like fan fiction type art. You know, it. it well, it does. I've I've heard a lot. A lot of people have said that. A lot of people. That last that. panel is really not very well executed. I, I looked at it and thought, well, I, I know what they're trying to get across here, but feet were where it was kind of like it, it took me a moment to to kind of figure out where where the body parts were going, and it, you know, which which <laughs> means that it failed on an artistic level too. Um, but I, I think there, I think there was a I, again, there's a way you could have done it where it didn't come off as the female character being put on display for an audience to judge her and use her as a sex object in their own mind. Um, and, and that's the thing that bothers me in both cases is the way that the female characters are framed and depicted on the page. They're, they're not really um, being presented as characters with, with agency and motivation and, and uh, incentives of their own. It's, it's rather here is something for you to go look at now. Tee hee hee. And it just, it's, it's, ah. Yeah, it didn't it didn't thrill me, but it is it has been comic. I think maybe maybe it's just that it, it's it's always been like that with with so many comics and I guess maybe I just thought with DC saying they were trying to reach a broader audience or bring people back into the fold and advertise this on television nationwide. Given how lucrative girl geek culture is, you think they would have talked to some women about how they felt about this, this long-standing comic book convention of women being the objects and the and the add-ons and the tokens in the books, you know? But they uh, they didn't change, right? I mean, it is it is it is what uh, kind of you would expect, which is I, I just I, I was a little disappointed by it. Now, before we get off too far on the horrible crippling sexism of uh, DC uh, in a couple issues, uh, <laughs> which we did, I want to talk about. Uh, Jason mentioned uh, Watchmen number one, and I wanted to see if you guys had anything to say about. Um, and I already dropped the micronized bomb a little while ago uh, about about other classic. Uh, number one issues that you liked or or, or, or didn't like, and um, 
you know, since Jason mentioned Amazing Fantasy 15 and, and Fantastic Four number one, and I was going to mention Watchmen number one as well, which is a great example of something that doesn't reveal all the characters and all the storyline yet, but it gives you enough that you are in this rich world. It sets the initial mystery and then, you know, makes you have to come back for more. And that, that I was hooked. I, I heard, knew nothing about Watchmen other than that it was uh, severely hyped. And I bought Watchmen number one because I am that ancient and um, was blown away. And then, you know, that was it. I was sold on the whole on the whole series. But I'm wondering if you guys have some other um, examples of of uh, favorite first issues from the past. Uh, Dan, how about you? Hmm. I was I was actually afraid you're going to start. You want to you want to pass? <laughs> no, I don't want to pass. It can it be a limited series? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, Wolver- I dropped Wolverine Watchmen, limited right? Wolverine limited series number one back in the 80s. Oh, still got it. Still got it right Jason here. Jason Brightman's nodding. That, so that totally rocked. That was a great. Well, issue. I can't. I've won, totally won the faith. Can you believe I've totally won this guy over? Yeah, now? he's totally in my court now. I could say anything now, and he'd he'd come on board. I've got I've got the book right here. I've got it right here in my uh, box, right by the desk. Is that Basically. the original original Wolverine yeah. miniseries? Chris Claremont, Frank Miller. Yep. Yeah, it's not in great condition, but I mean, look at that thing. That book is amazing. Everything about it, cover. The cover. Forget everything. Forget they don't even open it. Just look at the cover. It's, it's the best. It's iconic now. It's the best. What are you going to say? I mean, that's my favorite number one. Got to be. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Faith, do you have a favorite number one? Um, I, hmm. No. Alpha no. Flight. What, what Dan wants to answer for Alpha me. Alpha Flight. I just have a feeling she's going to say Alpha Flight. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you, can, you can still my answer. <laughs> you can't beat Canadian superheroes. Yeah. Well, actually, you can. You can beat them senseless, but. <laughs> Look at this. I mean, how can you beat this? Yeah, he's. You can't see this, but he's like waving around his, well, his gently, Wolverine. Very gently. Yeah, very gently. Sure. It's like that. You have that thing like shrink wrap. You don't want to harm no, it. No, it's just a. It's just in a bag. Can't it's be played. Can't be read. You can't even look yeah. at it. Look away. Yeah. Yeah. Can't be viewed. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go outside of the mainstream genre with number ones. Stray Bullets, uh, number one by uh, David Lapham. Uh, came out you can get them all in trade now and i encourage the audience to pick them up uh every issue was almost a number one because every issue was a complete story and he'd introduce a new character so you had to kind of get to know this character the world the whole thing and it was all mostly um 70s pulp fiction type stories but after four or five issues you started realizing there's a big story going on and all these people are connected even though they weren't in there, but you got to start seeing other parts of the same town or same storyline going on and other things from other characters' perspectives, and you're like, oh, wait. I thought I was just reading interesting character pieces, and now there's this bigger picture going on, and it was each story by itself, great story, uh, and then bigger meta-narrative, amazing. But that's cheating, because you've just said every issue is a number one, but there was only one number one, and you can't tell from it that every other issue is going to be interconnected with it. No, but you can't, that number one uh, red cover... Uh, a little kid dressed up uh, for Halloween as a ghost. Fantastic cover. Great story just because each one is a complete story. It was That number one issue was fantastic. One of the best number ones I've ever read. Fair enough. Uh, Lisa, what about you? I'm going to go in a slightly different direction and uh, make an argument that as a publishing arm, Vertigo actually tends to have very strong number one issues on most of their books um, if it's the original book. For example, I thought that Bill Willingham's Fables has a really strong and compelling number one issue because um, they start off right away with a, a murder mystery and they build and they world build around the murder mystery at the same time. And uh, it was one of those where you put it down and you just wanted to read more and more and more. Um, and then going way, way back, Neil Gaiman's uh, first issue of Black Orchid is definitely, again, what it does is it kills off a main character. And then, you know, kind of reboots the premise all in the first issue. So that's another one that's really fun and powerful to read. And the work that Brian K. Vaughan has done for uh, Vertigo, again, almost all of his number ones have been really good, really strong. Jumping into the Wayback Machine, um, as a middle schooler, I think, when um, the first issue of uh, X-Men's New Mutants came out, I oh, love yeah. that. Oh yeah. I love that number one. I think that is fantastic. 
And um, it, it definitely set a tone for the series and it had a story and did a great job introducing characters within the framework of an already established uh, fictional universe. And so I'd argue that that's a really strong number one issue. T- Didn't New Mutants get kicked off by a graphic novel, though, and then there was a number one? I don't remember, to be honest with you. All I remember is, is sitting down with a stack of, of, the, of, the, of the comic books, of the comic issues and reading through. So I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think they, I think they launched it with a, with a graphic novel and then they went into number one. But I do remember reading that number one a million times because it, we, as somebody who discovered um, a lot of these comics, obviously most people discover comics not with issue number one, but with issue number 138. Yeah. Um, and so being in on the ground floor of, you know, the next X-Men, basically, um, when I didn't get a chance to do that before, um, because I was too young to read because X-Men. Because you weren't around one, the 60s, yeah. <laughs> was exciting. And, and that's, you know, I think that's the purpose number ones serve. I mean, we see number ones again and again. Uh, comic companies reset the numbering whenever they feel like it in order to, I, I guess, you know, collectors want to collect them, but they want to send a message about it, it, how it's a new story. And that's what I, uh, the next thing I wanted to bring up, which is um, are, how important are number ones really? Because don't most of us, and this is, this goes for origin stories too. Don't most of us fall into a story in the middle anyway. I mean, how often is it that we start with, we see number one and we start with number one, unless we've discovered some other part of the story and then have decided to backtrack to it. I think, yeah, I think they're important, but li- listen, talking about this fables thing, the other day I looked at the cover, this new fables, uh, thought, man, this thing looks good. I want to get this. And I said to the person in the store, I'm like, well, can I just jump in there? Oh, no, no, you can't just jump into that. They like, like oh, no. Yes, you can. No, no, no. Yes, you can. And then they said, can. they said, here's where you want to start. And they took me back, and they have an entire, like, wing of this comic. This is a big comic no, book no, store. They no. have a you whole wing totally devoted to just the trade paperbacks in. of this thing. No, I'll never get caught up, so no, I didn't no, buy it. No, 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 no. There's, 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 look, 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 right now the series, there, um, and this is not giving anything away. The, the first arc of the series, or the first giant arc that takes up like seven or eight or nine trade paperbacks, uh, concerns a giant war. And you can totally skip over that and jump into the universe after the war is done. And you are, you know, all, all you're missing is some backstory and Easter egg that gets dropped in. But that's your entry point. If you don't want to go back and read and, 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 and drop a boatload of money on trades and, and spend an entire weekend catching up. Um, that's actually one of the good things about the series is it seems like Willingham is writing long arcs. And while, you know, I like the series enough to encourage you to read them, you can totally jump in after the war is over and, and you'd still have a really rewarding experience with the series. That's one of the things I think that series is doing right is it's providing a lot of natural tapering points. Have have we gotten spoiled? Have we gotten too much information to the point where back in the day, if you had seen, you know, hey, this Fables is a cool comic. Pick up issue number one twenty eight, and and you wouldn't have said, well, I can get the trade paperback. I can go on Wikipedia and look up the story arc, and maybe I'll just start with number one and work my way up. Um, and back then, you know, not to sound again like an old man, back then maybe we're a little more innocently saying, you know, whatever, I'll just pick up this issue I found at the at the supermarket and I'll figure it out because I, I think we're all capable of figuring out where the what's going on in the story. I'm not sure we all need to start with number one, but um, I feel like at this point, that's the society we live in is we have so much information at our disposal that, you know, why would you ever start at number 18 when you could start at number one? One of the things that um, Jim Shooter was always really big on and, and pushed his writers and editors to do was every issue is somebody's first. So you have to have enough things in the story that, Anybody picking up the story can pick up the world and the characters and things, which is why every issue of uh, X-Men or Wolverine had Wolverine say, I'm the best there is at what I do, and what I do isn't very nice, which is all you need to know about the character. And as a longtime reader, reading it in a trade paperback now, it's really annoying. But in the days of those single issues on newsstands, and you, know, you pick up one in the middle of a story, it told you everything. Like You look at any issue of Fantastic Four, and it was you got... Every issue was, uh, you know, Sue referred to Johnny as her brother. Um, Reed referred to, you know, the accident was generally referenced. Reed referred to Sue as his wife. Like, just through the dialogue, you got who all the characters were. Uh, And writers don't do that today. They try at the beginning of, like, you know, an issue of Ultimate Spider-Man. They have that little blurb about Ultimate, who Ultimate Spider-Man is and what happened in the previous issue to Mm. help with it. But it used to be built into the stories, which is kind of annoying in trade paperbacks that we live in today. 
All right. Um, that's that. Jason Brightman has dropped some history on us there. I, I actually grew up reading Jim Shooter's uh, Marvel comics, and and I, I did feel that way. That yeah. was that worked for me because oh, yeah. that's how I got into comics. Was not by digging up old issues, but just dropping into those those issues and being like, okay, I get who the X Men are. Generally, I kind of figured out who Kitty Pride is and why is she down in the tunnels with the Morlocks. You know, I I, I didn't need to read that issue twelve issues ago. I I. I, I could piece it together. And they also used to do the asterisks to cross oh, the footnotes. Or, or, I yeah. love the footnotes. I know. And, and this too. one, you could actually hunt them down if you were interested in them, too. My, my very first comic book was Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 5, which... The Badoon. Oh, yes. Ooh la la, Badoon. <laughs> We've discussed what a jerk uh, Reed Richards is in oh, that yes. issue. But anyway. Oh, of course. Oh, that's one of my favorite topics. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the point is, um, not only do they do the thing where you get introduced to everybody, and they do it with the X-Men, too, where they're like, Storm, can you summon up some wins for us? Of course I can. Um, but um, they also explain who the Badoon are and why um, Professor Xavier's girlfriend is an alien and so on and so forth. And they've got the footnotes of plenty. And so, you know, as a, as a fifth grader, not only did I, I, I get this instant comprehension of, of this this fictitious world i was also really hooked on the idea that there was back reading to do or or that you know this world radiated out into other books that i could hunt down as well and it was just a beautiful balance of self-contained story and um a look into a wider world and i do think that despite the plethora of crossover events that most comic book publishers put out today i think we've lo- I, I think the storytelling has shifted to the point where it doesn't do that as elegantly as it used to I don't know why, but I, I think we've lost a little bit of that style, and, and it's a pity. The uh, my first issue was X Men one ninety nine, and it was when Rachel Summers became Phoenix, uh, and I had no idea who any of these characters were or Phoenix or any of that stuff. But the issue, like, I got this character is going through this major transformation, and her mom, but she's from an alternate reality, but her mom also had gone through this and then did very very bad things and she has a lot to try to live up to and make up for and so it introduced me to one issue to this entire world and I got it was like a great story and it intrigued me enough then to kind of investigate this world and discover all of it it was amazing and and it's it is kind of what first issues need to do and I don't know that any of the DC ones really rose to that level does anyone disagree I didn't read enough of them to be able to agree or disagree, so I'm, I'm just going to take your word for it. <laughs> All right. So before we go, though, I want to um, turn Jason's uh, question on its head a little bit. I'm interested to know from all of you, and this is where I actually am going to put you on the spot finally, one of the nice things about DC doing a, a bunch of number ones is if we were to tell somebody this week uh, that one DC comic was good, uh, they wouldn't have to go back 100, 120 issues. They could go back to last month or just download it on their iPad and start with issue one and then probably immediately move on to issue two and then that would be it and they'd have to wait a month. So I'm going to put you all on the spot and ask if for our listeners out there, if there was one DC number one that you would recommend they try to see about this new DC uh, 52 number one issues, uh, what would it be? And I'll start, and I'm going to start with the Blue Beetle, which I mentioned before, because it is a true origin story, which is fun. I think the Blue Beetle does not get enough credit. I am a sucker for the teenage kid with problems who gets superpowers genre. I love Invincible. I love Ultimate Spider-Man. And uh, Blue Beetle is the DC Ultimate Spider-Man. He's great. It's a great comic and the new comic looks to be um just as good it's got this whole cosmic soldier kind of thing and i'm a sucker for the space superhero genre too and uh, blue beetle's got all of that so um that's the one i recommend if, if you haven't uh ever heard of the blue beetle before i say check it out because you will get the whole story of who the blue beetle is and uh, what he's all about and uh, i'm gonna be i'm gonna be reading that one jason what about you I don't think it almost depends on who I'm talking to and what kind of genre they like, because I think to DC's credit, they hit lots of different genres and have something for almost everyone. Uh, if I was just doing the my top one, I would probably go with the OMAC, OMAC number one, uh, because it it was so much fun, and, and it sort of it introduced a new character, and its hapless office worker gets zapped by Brother Eye satellite and turned into this 
killing machine for, but for a purpose because OMAC has an agenda or the satellite has an agenda, which you don't know what it is, but you get there's an agenda. And then there's uh, monsters that are bigger than life and uh, destruction and mayhem and a girlfriend who's worried about her hapless office boyfriend who's disappeared during all of this carnage because he's making it. It was a fun uh, kind of light story. Dan and Faith, what about uh, what about you guys? Do you have uh, a recommendation? If you could only recommend one comic for somebody to try from the new DC, what would it be? Mm. That's a, that's such a tough one. I kind of agree that uh, you know it might depend on the person. Yes, yes, but I am asking tough questions. You gotta you You're gotta answer only one. <sighs> you know, I mean, uh, this is gonna. I really like the the way Swamp Thing is starting out, but I really like Batman too. I have to pick one. You do not Batman, Aquaman rather. I wouldn't put Batman on there for uh, the average person. I don't know. I'm going to say Swamp Thing because that's my sleeper. That's my uh, underdog. I, I didn't even read that one because I, I'm so attached to that Alan Moore run on the Swamp Thing. So I'm interesting. I, yeah. I, I I'll check it out. I, I like hearing positive things about it because I I do love that uh, that character at least as Alan Moore kind of reinvented him, and I, I'm. I'm uh, so I'm intrigued now. So I will take your advice. It, you should know before you jump in. It kind of completely undoes everything Alan Moore did. That's fine. I, I'm I'm expecting there to be dead continuity now, which is uh, that, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, Faith, what about you? Uh, I'd probably say Batgirl because that's the only one I've read so far where I thought I, I want to read. That's the a next good one. one. I like that one. And she's too. not. She's not. She's not hung up on the oracle or anything else because she didn't read it and neither did i by the way i didn't read that i know about lisa, it lisa you gotta I, we, we're telling you lisa you should read batgirl number one it's good it's a great and you know you get to see the human side of of one of these heroes who's not afraid at least in her own personal thoughts in her own personal thoughts to admit to herself no i don't know what i'm doing what am i doing what am i doing out here in this uh, outfit okay all right all right i've, I've, I've been press ganged into submission <laughs> <laughs> your baby is also telling you to read batgirl i i speak baby so oh can you hear her in the background too i a, a little bit she's it's delightful i'd ask i'd ask you lisa but you you've only read the one right so yeah. so are you gonna are you gonna go out and uh and, and uh, more? get that girl um, number one you know i might read it in the store um boy I'm, I'm queen of the tangents today but um part of my problem with number ones is I, I don't want them hanging around the house afterwards. What I'd rather do is just see which books shake out and which ones are going to get trades and buy the trades if I'm going to buy them and read them. Um, I don't like buying single issues anymore, which I think is another podcast for another time. Yeah, I'm doing I'm I'm doing that, but I'm doing it all on the iPad now. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, that's the only single issues I'll buy will be on the iPad. Yeah, if, I, if, if we get an iPad for um, non-work-related purposes or through non-work-related channels, then I'll probably start... Uh, dropping money on single issues again but not the physical objects no so oh i've got all all of them i've got them all would you like to ship them to me no no because i really like i really like having them i think it's great it's great to collect and you know i mean i like time away from devices and the audience should know i believe (laughs) november they're coming out with a hardcover collection of every single number you know 52 number ones in one hardcover collection that's actually That's cool. a really smart move because that can introduce people to diff- to books they wouldn't read otherwise. Yeah, that's a really good idea. That's a really good idea. And if you you can go to Dan's house if you'd like to read them now because Dan is yeah, keeping his comic book shop alive and good for him. That's right. You're spending time away from devices, Dan. I never spend time away from devices. I, I fall asleep with my iPad under my pillow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say on your forehead, but <laughs> no, my Kindle's on my forehead. The iPad's <laughs> under the pillow. That's how that works. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun. Um, we had some technical issues, but uh, we managed to have a conversation anyway, which is good. Um, anyway, I, until the next time the Comic Book Club convenes, which I hope is soon, uh, I would like to thank my Comic Book Club members. We all have our membership cards. Uh, new members indoctrinated, indoctrinated, inducted today. You'll, you'll receive your uh, hazing ritual later. Uh, Dan Benjamin and Faith Corby, thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. I, I'm glad it's not normally this chaotic and things don't normally break this badly. Um, he said, you know, <laughs> Lisa and Jason are like, sure. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, Jason Brightman. Thank you for, uh, thank you for, for being here again and talking about, uh, so many number ones. It's always great to be here. 
and Lisa Schmeiser from home with with the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for thanks for dialing in. I really appreciate it. Oh, I had a great time. Thank you. All right. Until the next meeting of the Comic Book Club, this is Jason Snell for The Incomparable, wishing you farewell. That's the weirdest sign-off I've ever done, but, you know, I get... I like that I get, one. Uh, adios, courage. I was like just that. about to ask him. Courage.